listening to The Cooler Ring, a podcast made for manufacturing marketers. Here are Carmen Perry and Jeff White. Welcome to The Cooler Ring, a podcast for manufacturing marketers brought to you by Cooler Partners. My name is Jeff White. Joining me today, as always, is Carmen Perry. Carmen, how are you doing, sir? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. And, um, you know, I, I think the last time we recorded, I was highlighting, I don't, and this will probably not come out in the proper sequence, of course, because they never do, but... Uh, we were highlighting your birthday yes um and, and then uh and then uh, oddly enough I, I don't know why i didn't realize this before but then uh, immediately the day after is my mother's birthday so oh, it was kind of this weird uh uh, uh ongoing series of birthday celebrations here uh, in the cooler ring you know but um <laughs> but beyond that i'm excited for today's show i think i i, I I, I like when marketing uh, sometimes takes a bit more of a, a noble purpose, let's say. And there was a, a quote that just stood out uh, when I was first chatting with today's guest that just uh, kind of resonated with me, where it, it just seemed like, you know, it, it's best to create marketing that helps people use what they have. And... You know, that seemed like something really worth unpacking. So let's get into it today. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to it as well. So joining us today is Mike Donnelly. Mike is the VP of Marketing at Setco Corporation. Welcome to the Cooler Ring, Mike. Uh, hi, Jeff. Carmen, uh, thanks for having me on the show today. It's great to be here. Yeah, really glad you're with us. Uh, why don't you tell us a bit about yourself and, uh, and then dive into what Setco does? Yeah, so I'm a, I'm a longtime marketer. I've been doing this for well, close to 30 years now, maybe even a little longer, sales and marketing. Um, been a lifelong passion of mine. I, I enjoy it very much. Um, very happy to be at Setco Corporation. We're based in uh, Cincinnati, Ohio, in the Cincinnati metro area. And we're in the machine tool space. So um, we are an OEM of spindles and slides, milling heads. And we also have a significant portion of our business devoted to repairing um, those same products, especially spindles. So that's where we live these days. Very cool. And how big's the company? So we're about a $70 million company. We're global. We've got um, facilities in uh, China, Taiwan, India, uh, the USA, and a little bit in Mexico. Very cool. I love the, uh, I was saying to Carmen the other day, you know, the, the act, the full name of the company or the previous name, the standard electric tool company. And I, it feels yeah. like it really needs like a, a modern hipster logo showing the, you know, the, the hundred plus year history of everything. You know, I can see crossed uh, spindles, <laughs> you know, in a circle. Yeah. We just moved to a new facility and, uh, in going through that move, um, uh, ton of photo archives of some very cool old machines in there that you know, we're hanging on to. So yeah, a lot of history with this organization. But but you didn't uh, have a modern hipster logo, I believe the term is. <laughs> I don't know if we, we'd call that modern hipster, but we, we have updated it a few times over the years. So I have to look up that definition of modern hipster <laughs> right? and yeah, make sure I get uh, it right. I, I think that's just designer speak to, for me. Yeah. <laughs> are always kind of saying things that other people don't understand and it doesn't make sense. Mike, I guess, let's t take us into this, uh, in, in, into your work at Setco and, and this uh, notion of the, the strategy of, of helping people use what they have. It, it seems that, you know, the space would obviously be quite, quite technical. 
Um, mm -hmm. and, but you'd also somewhat assume that the people within it know how to use what they have. But I guess talk to me. Yeah, so the, you know, the idea around that or the concept around that is that in marketing, I think it, it frustrates um, you know, our customers, our prospects, if we're constantly selling them something. They don't, people don't like to be sold to nonstop. So in my marketing efforts, I try to focus on how to help them use their products more efficiently, more effectively, get longer life out of them, get higher performance, um, increase their productivity. And we believe that if we focus on that, then the sales will happen naturally and organically. As we develop new products, our customers will like us, they'll trust us, and they're more likely to take a look at these, at the new offerings as well. But if the, if the core focus is around, hey, thanks for buying this, um, this is how you can get the most out of it, I think that's a, a solid message that, that works in our space. And what kinds of content are you producing to, uh, to get that message across and, and to, to help your, your customers? Yeah, so I'm relatively new at Setco. I'm coming up on a year now, my first year. Um, and with previous companies, I've tried basically the same strategy. But we'll, we publish um, blog articles. Um, we're going to be getting more and more into video. Just haven't had the time to get to that with the move to the new building and launching a new website. But more video content around how to optimize the performance of these products. Explain to people why they fail, what they can do to prevent them from failing, uh, spindles are, are highly technical uh, products and they take a lot of care in handling. So we've produced content around how to store them properly, um, how to move them properly from one location to another, um, how, to, how to test them, how to, how to make sure they're lubricated properly and, and right on down the line. Um, you know, we have products to help prevent contamination and we explain to people how how to best protect their spindles when they're operating in their machine tools in order to keep them clean, uh, keep those contamination, contaminants out of the bearings, which is one of the, the key spindle killers is contaminated bearings, and really help people um, do the right and correct preventive maintenance um, in order to keep the, the spindle running. You know, a small machine tool shop, uh, they can't afford to have their spindle go down for any extended length of time. That means that machine is not producing product. They're losing money. So anything that we can do to help them keep their shop running more efficiently, longer, uh, I think is a win uh, for both, for both our customers and for us. I kind of think maybe we should rename the marketing department like the uh, the replacement uh reorder prevention department like, <laughs> I, I, it seems like you guys have really gotten you guys have really gotten your head around that like you know, some people you know you hear it in a number of categories people will say oh you know our products are almost too well built you know it would be nice if they if they broke a little earlier so mm. that we could sell the replacement yep. um you know and you know, i understand where people are coming from with that and it is a it's a backhanded way of commenting on your own quality but um, but at the same time, it's kind of another level of the strategy to to to, to actively uh, pursue the extending uh, of the use and the uh, and, and not just um, not just building it great from the start, but trying to extend it further. It, it doesn't strike me that the business has had any challenge accepting that notion. However, no, everyone everyone seems to be on board with that. The we look at it in the long term. There's a lot of machine tools in the world today, and all those are, are prospects for us. So if we can help people use this equipment longer, their business is going to grow. They're going to need a new machine tool. They're going to expand. 
and and spindles don't last forever no matter how how good you take care of them they don't they don't last forever and we want to position ourselves as a company that you know we're going to help you keep it running longer and then we're also going to be there when you need us to either repair it or replace it so we think there's enough growth out there that um that this strategy will will definitely pay off for us and, and Mike, excuse my ignorance, but to what extent are you helping people uh, better use what they have with the understanding that what they may have isn't something that they already purchased from you? Are you, are you helping them use what they ha- better use what they have even if it didn't come from you initially? Well, the content's available to anybody. So, um, you know, we help people, you know, we, we put content out there around how to prevent contamination of your bearings. Uh, Bearings is a a common theme um, in a spindle. You know, you got to keep your bearings uh, clean and and running well in order for that spindle to operate properly. So that content's available to anybody, whether you're a Setco customer or not. We don't lock that down behind a a firewall or anything. Um, So we we make it readily available. Um, We don't even require a login at this point to get it. It's just free and open on the website. So, yeah, we think that if we can, you know, keep our name out in front of people and and help them maintain this equipment, it's a a win for us as well as them. Do you find that you're able to surprise them? But you have some tips that they haven't thought of? I mean, the people working in this space, uh, like I said, I think they they probably know what they're doing a bit. Yeah, so there's... um, you know, especially like if we look around our shop, you know, the guys that have been rebuilding these spindles for, you know, 20 years, 30 years, 40 years, they know exactly what they're doing. They know how this equipment works and we're not really going to uh, drop something on them that they, oh, hey, I never really thought about, you know, the fact that I have to use, you know, clean air, you know, clean, dry air on my, you know, in order for my tool changes. You know, they know these things. It's people that are newer to the industry. Um, maybe it's a maintenance guy that, that's fairly new in machine tools, uh, people that are just up and coming, they'll get the most out of it, but it's always a good reminder too. Um, another key component of that is around uh, vibration analysis and preventive maintenance. Um, companies might feel that you know maybe they can't afford that type of technology in their system, so they shy away from it. But if we can help them understand that in the long run, you know, they're better off investing in that upfront to avoid the downtime, then, you know, that's an opportunity maybe to enlighten somebody that is a little bit more experienced in the field and, you know, looking at that trade-off. It's, uh, it's an interesting uh, kind of hinge here. I found that one of the places that people that employ this kind of very education-first strategy, sometimes they they kind of arrive at a bit of a a fork in the road, if you will, where they either decide we're going to educate people on 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 the the thing itself, the use of it, uh, or we're going to educate them on the business of what they do. Um, you know, getting more into the 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 background processes, or like you say, uh, imagining uh, sensor technology, et cetera. Kind of think about investing in their business in different ways. Um, have you kind of thought about that formal distinction about advising people more on the business side versus on the actual usage side? And do you make any conscious decisions one way or the other about how to approach it? We don't, we don't get too terribly deep into that. Um, we certainly tout the benefits of preventive maintenance, um, to keep track of, um, the health of their machine tools, you know, on the whole and, and spindles in particular. Um, 
So we try to, to be a little bit more holistic in that area and not, we don't want to be too hyper-focused on the spindle necessarily. You know, we sell other products as well, but um, we recently completed a market research study and we found that particularly for the small and medium-sized job shops, they don't really think about spindle repair that often. The spindles just don't go down all the time. A lot of prospects in that category might only have a spindle failure once a year or or once every 18 months. So they're, we're not top of mind for them, but we certainly want to be present when they're, you know, when something does happen and they do need, need some help. So the key there is around trying to think of it from their point of view, getting into their head, understand what they're thinking about and uh, focusing on what, what makes the most impact for them. And again, I believe if we do that, we'll be just fine in the end. I think that's really interesting because you know, the spindle is a part of a machine, but it's not kind of the core thing. So yes, a lot of, a lot of these, uh, machine shop operators and, uh, and you know, the, the folks who are kind of using those are going to know about the components of the machines that they use just over time, you know, as they get more experience, but you know, the, the first time that the, that that spindle breaks or, or goes down on them, you know, they're, they're going to have to go potentially looking for this. They're not necessarily thinking about about that failure until it happens, right? So or planning for it, in other words. Yeah, so. you know, so kind of having this strategy of of creating content about that should give them, you know, should give them a way into you, even if they haven't heard of Setco before. Yeah, ideally it would work that way. So, um, so machine tools are very sensitive. Um, they're often, you know, highly precise pieces of equipment, depending on what it is that you're making. You know, naturally, if you're turning a, a, a lathe on wood and you're just making a, a chair rail or something like that, that's fairly simple. You're not getting into microns. You know, you don't have to, to mill that down to one micron tolerances, whereas within some of the metal products in automotive and other areas, aerospace, you have to be that precise. So even when a spindle doesn't fail completely, you can get out of tolerance. If it gets out of balance, it starts to vibrate a little bit, um, it can throw your your machine out of tolerance by a few microns, which isn't very much, uh, but then that part is not going to pass inspection and their customer isn't going to accept it. So uh, there's catastrophic failure that, you know, just blows everything out of the water. And then there's getting a little bit out of alignment here and there um, that, that matters as well. So it's, it's both sides of that helping, helping our customers understand that, um, you know, a little bit, a little bit of wobble is a bad thing, depending on how precise they're, you know, their requirements are for the parts that they're making. I, mean, I think that can apply to a lot of parts of life. You know, a little bit of wobble is a bad thing. <laughs> <laughs> Very true. Very true. Well spoken. A lot of wobble, however, you know, depending. <laughs> Listen, it was a Friday night. <laughs> uh, you know, I... I'm going to really expose my spindle ignorance here, but I had never purported to be a spindle expert, so I don't know why I'm concerned about being ignorant of them. But I guess when there is a failure there, when there is a re requirement for replacement or, or what have you, um, one assumes the brand name is resident on said spindle, correct? Correct. Um, at, at appreciating Jeff's point that it's kind of big, big of a part of a bigger system, but uh, I, I guess, how is that as a barrier for um, uh, uh, displacing competitors? 
you, know, you can educate people all you want. You can have a great brand recognition. A lot of people can know you, but when they go to replace a spindle, if it's not your brand that they see on the one that they're replacing, well, now what? Because in that moment, that's really what they're seeking to do is break fix, correct? That's correct. And that, that is one of our biggest challenges um, on the repair side of the business is that the OEM that manufactured that machine, oftentimes they are, they're the spindle provider as well. They, they manufacture the spindles that go into their equipment and they'll have requirements around warranty that that spindle has to come back to the OEM. Um, plus they have the added advantage because they make a whole bunch of those spindles. They have a, um, a repair or replacement on hand. So they don't have to fix the one that comes back. They just send them out a new spindle, you know, and trade them out. That's expensive to do it that way for the customer, but it does work and it is fast. And a lot of times it's the, you know, it's their best choice. You know, in our, in our space on the repair side, um, we can repair just about any OEM spindle out there. We've been doing it for a very long time. So we have access to parts typically um, drawings a lot of times, not all at all times, um, to be able to build, you know, rebuild these things um, back to OEM specifications or even make alterations in them if the use of that machine has changed over the years. So, uh, yeah, they are highly complex. Uh, the OEMs are a, a competitor of ours on the on the repair side of things. Um, but then there's there's OEMs that we provide spindles to on the new side as well, as, because we're a spindle manufacturer as well as a repair. I was going to lead right into that actually, because I think it you know it is a different segment uh, of the market for you. Um, you'd obviously be going to market when you're selling to OEMs and being an OEM supplier of spindles differently than you are for the machine shop owners and uh, and operators. So how do you how do you think about that? in terms of kind of a split of of marketing effort? Yeah, so the OEMs that we work with are typically, um, they do highly specialized work. Um, they, they don't necessarily need, you know, hundreds or thousands of spindles. Um, we have a niche of um, really strong engineering capabilities. So when we, we can design a spindle to really meet the needs of a very specific application, um, whether it's... Uh, uh, well, really for anything, whether it's aerospace or defense or or anything, it really doesn't make much difference. We can design a spindle for just about anything. And um, typically, if if they don't not going to be building a ton of these, it makes more sense to outsource that uh, to a company like us rather than try to develop that technology and build that from scratch yourself. It's just easier. They can focus on the on the marketing and the sales of that and the other components of the machine. I think that's really interesting. And, and I mean, it must, you know, it probably presents different challenges to your sales team as well. I, I would think kind of working um, more directly with uh, OEM manufacturers than, uh, you know, the, the folks who are sending things in for repair or, or sending, you know, looking to buy a new spindle from you. Yeah, it does. On the, on the marketing side, when we're prospecting, it is a different approach to to reach out to the um, on the repair side of things because essentially that's the entire machine tool universe. Um, anyone that has a machine tool, we could potentially you know repair that. Um, for the OEMs, you know we're, we target more specific uh, niche type operations um, that need something that's very highly specialized. So our guys um, on the sales side, and we do most of that through in-person sales calls. 
So those guys, they know the market. They've been in it for a long time. Um, a lot of tribal knowledge there, a lot of sharing of, of information around these different companies that need these types of services uh, to build, you know, these highly specialized spindles. And the targeting of that is a little bit different than what we do on the repair and rebuild side. So you've talked a bit about how, you know, since you've arrived at Setco, you've been investing in digital and you know, new websites and content strategy and, and all of that. Does that extending to the the sales team as well? Are are you um, you know, are you standing up CRMs? Is that new for your team, or or are you um, still kind of uh, working more directly with the sales team? I, I work very closely with the sales team. So, um, so being with the company for a relatively short period of time, you know, the first few months I was here, we were tied up with our big trade show, the IMTS show in Chicago. So that took up you know, the bulk of my time learning a little bit about the business for one thing, because I'm not a spindle expert, you know, coming in so that I had to learn all the spindle stuff that uh, Carmen just picked up today. So um, <laughs> that's part of it. And then, uh, you know, through that, you know, getting through budget, uh, developing the new website and then the move to a new building, that's kept me from gaining as much product knowledge as I typically would, you know, bring it, you know, coming into something new. Um, so, as I ramp up and I learn more and more about our products and services, I'm, you know, I'm a longtime marketer. So I, so my core competency is writing, you know, good, strong email campaigns, but I really lean into the sales team to wordsmith those for me to make sure that I'm using language that makes sense to OEMs or to the average guy in the, in the job shop. Cause I don't speak their language yet. So I understand the marketing side of things, but I, I really depend on my sales team, my engineering team to help me with, fine-tuning these so that I don't write something in there that doesn't just doesn't make sense. And it's the same thing with the blog article. So even if I write a blog article for the website, it always gets reviewed, you know, by the sales team or our VP of sales. Somebody takes a look at it to make sure that uh, that the content is going to make sense to the audience. So it's, it's very collaborative um, on that side because I'm, you know, I just really believe strongly that content is king, that we really have to push good content out in the marketplace to position ourselves as the industry leader, you know, where we want to be. And without that, and without the support of the sales team and people that have been doing this for a very long time, yeah, it would fall very flat. You know, I'd be writing all kinds of things that just don't really land well with our audience. I want to kind of extend on this point a little bit and kind of explore and your, uh, drive that you mentioned earlier or uh, at least uh, interest in uh, heading down uh, the video road a bit more strongly mm -hmm. um are you i guess to what how, how much thought have you given to that strategy is it uh and and what's the driver of it i guess is it uh are we starting from a point of view of uh, we think video is some is a good thing we ought to be doing or do we have some level of, of, of customer demand leading us to think that it's a, uh, a, a direction we ought to head in. Yeah, some of it is anecdotal, but um, we, you know, when we all think about our own experiences, I know I do, you know, I do a lot of work around the house, a lot of house maintenance, and anytime I need help with something, I'm going to hop onto YouTube if I haven't done it before and, and try and find a video that, that shows me how to do that. So, you know, that's primarily anecdotal. But when I think about how people typically are consuming content and I look at the numbers around the growth of, of YouTube and views, um, 
in the marketplace, it's a it's a valuable tool for someone to actually be able to see what it is that we're talking about. So you can talk all day long about bearing contamination and and the different things that can go wrong with the spindle, but if you can show them that um, in a video or an animation or something that makes that concept more clear, I think that it it helps the end user understand better and it it positions us at a you know one notch up from just writing content. So. Um, our effort, you know, going forward, we we hope to be producing, uh, you know, uh, at least one or two videos every month once we hit our stride, and we're, you know, we're a ways from that right now, but that's the intent. I'll be interested to see how um, how that plays out over time and uh, the infrastructure that you put in place to to to, to make it happen. I've it's one interesting. It's it's been uh, if I had to draw some. Um, uh, or patterns that I've seen in manufacturing marketing departments uh, over the years, it, it, there's a, almost there's a bit of a divide. There's some that really build out their video capability uh, in house and really lean into it and have lots of good reasons for that, of course. And then uh, others where that's just not a strong thing. But it seems like there is a it's hard to be half pregnant on it, you know. I guess it's the way. Like people are either all in or not. I don't know if the editor of the podcast is now going to have edit edit that out or not. But we'll see. Um, so when you when you talk about video and and how it's you know and how it's done, I think one thing that that YouTube and the ability for anybody to upload a video on their phone has created, it's. Uh, for lack of a better term, it's lowered the standard for video quality that's acceptable in the marketplace. So a video doesn't necessarily have to be highly produced in order to be effective. Uh, you know, a guy in his garage showing you how to replace the carburetor on your lawnmower um, is okay, you know, in a, in a lot of situations. So what, what we try to focus on or what I, what I really look at is making sure that the audio is clear, that people don't have to struggle to understand what it is that we're saying. Uh, and the video generally comes out clear enough, you know, with a, just a little bit of editing to get the proper close-ups when you're really trying to communicate a concept. Um, I think that's important as well. So a little tiny bit of editing and make sure your audio is good. And I think you're, I think you're okay. I think that that works in today's environment. I think uh, every, Jeff will uh, certainly <laughs> be shaking his head at the notion of having good audio being easy because we all know yeah. that that's not the case. My that's not easy. It's not. It, it's... it really is kind of incredible. You know, we all have these video production studios in our, in our pants pocket right now. And, and yet it's still very hard to get good quality audio. Like it, it's a know, challenge video. You know, you can go 4k for a joke <laughs> you know, <laughs> these right. days, but uh, yeah. And the audio is really where you notice it too. Yeah, and I think that's what makes a difference. We want we want our videos to be clear so that when people are, a lot of times they, they've got it on their phone and they, they're not necessarily, they're more listening to it, I think, sometimes if they're trying to walk through something while the video is playing. I know I do that. So the audio is is what we really try to make sure that we get right, take the, take the time. It doesn't have to be perfect. You know, it's certainly not studio quality, but we don't want people to struggle to hear what we're saying. And you can't have machines banging in the background and, and a lot of distractions. So you have to find ways to, you know, either to shoot the video and then drop your audio in after or, or just have a little bit more quiet environment and use, you know, maybe audio from the surrounding shoot sporadically throughout just to add a little realism yeah that's always really difficult when you're talking about environments like your probably your shop is probably in um i remember doing oh, yeah. some video shoots in a uh 
one of our former clients was a manufacturer of uh, RF transmitters, so radio transmitters. So there, there's so many radio waves in the air out there. You couldn't use any kind of um, wireless things for triggering lights or audio or anything like that. There were too many radio waves. It just didn't work. <laughs> and there was also a lot of noise. Yeah. I would say, too, to people that are, you know, any new marketers that are just starting to do more video is, um, you know, when you're investing in equipment, uh, invest in a decent microphone. Invest in the in the right uh, type of equipment that's going to deaden that wind noise if you're shooting outside. Um, it's worth that investment to get decent quality equipment that's uh, going to keep your audio clear. Um, your audience will greatly appreciate that when they don't hear all that hissing and static and going on in the background. It makes a big difference. I wonder, Mike, just uh, zooming a bit back out here as we close the show out. Just, uh, you know, you mentioned earlier at the lead off of the show that you've been a, you know, in the marketing game for quite a while, and mm -hmm. uh, but you've, you're reasonably new with Setco. So I'm kind of curious, uh, what's your, what's been your biggest surprise in year one? Um, biggest surprise at Setco in year one? Um, really is how how complicated and diverse a spindle really is. Uh, these are really highly super complicated pieces of equipment that are just ridiculously precise in some cases. And when, you, when you're talking about tolerances that get down into the microns and, and how fast these things have to go, spindles, you know, with, you know, 120,000 RPMs and, and, the, and the way they can cut metal and all these crazy different angles and, you know, five and seven axis machines, um, just the, the complicated nature of the industry and the amount of, of effort, you know, time and effort that OEMs make to create machines that can do all these just unbelievably amazing tasks, you know, faster and faster and, and do it in a way that, um, you know, that really makes sense. You can turn the parts out, you know, as quickly as you need them and still get that precision. Uh, super complicated process that these OEMs are, are working at to make more simple so that you know, with relatively simple programming, you know, you can produce parts that are amazingly complex and, and precise. That that impress, has impressed me from the beginning. It, uh, it's uh, always a, it's a kind of a delight about working in the manufacturing spaces that you get to uncover uh, the complexity that uh, that exists in some ways in, in areas that most people don't get to see. Yeah, so that's a... yeah, it is. In this case, you're making the making machine make. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's, it's very it's very meta. But I, I love that uh, where you went with that question, Mike, was to suggest that the number one thing that that surprised you was just how cool and interesting and how little you or how much you still need to learn about about the product itself it, it speaks to the strategy that we've been talking about throughout this episode i've really enjoyed it thanks very much for the conversation today no oh, thank you for having me and um, i really appreciate the time to be on the show thanks guys take care thanks for listening to the cooler ring with carmen perry and jeff white don't miss a single manufacturing marketing insight Subscribe now at coolapartners.com slash the cooler ring. That's K-U-L-A partners.com slash the cooler ring.